as we think in worship and in prayer of things that we are thankful for. I know many of us are thankful this morning that uh, a storm that looked a little threatening at one point has, uh, has kind of dissipated. And John mentioned in prayer that we do want to pray for those in the Caribbean islands that were um, greatly affected by the amount of rain. And, and, you know, it's kind of gray and maybe we'll get some of that rain. And we certainly want to keep some of our communities in prayer uh, in Hillsborough and Pasco County that are really um, fearing that. And, but we are thankful that, that it didn't become more. Uh, John and I were joking uh, as we were talking in the office this week, uh, he's been with us now three years. I think it's been three years. And I think this is the first time. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been three. Um, the first time that we've kind of had, I don't know if I want to, most of us have been through this. I wouldn't even call this a scare, but we were watching. You know, I, I don't remember the last few years that we've had anything that looked like it might bear down on us. And so we were just talking and I said, we've seen those lists before. Uh, you know, your true Floridian when, you know, flip-flops or formal wear, you know, that kind of stuff. And I said, and one of those things that may be on the list is when you know the times during the day that the Hurricane Center updates the track, then you know your flip because that's what you, you know, you know when to tune in and to get the uh, most recent update. And so we're certainly thankful that that didn't, though I will admit I've got couple kids in my house that were praying that maybe they'd get a day off of school out of it. So I know there are a few, and there's probably some teachers were praying they'd get a day off of school out of it. This morning, uh, the, the text, our lesson, uh, comes from the Gospel of Mark, the, the seventh chapter. And this is um, one of the frequent encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, that's kind of a church word. Many of you that grew up in church, you, you, you're familiar Pharisees, who they are. Maybe you're not. Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. They were the Bible scholars. They, in, in a current understanding, we might think, about, think of them as the Bible teachers or the seminary professors or the, or the pastors. They, they were invested in the religious life of the community, and they spent their life studying the laws and the, the scriptures and the word of God. But um, they often lost sight of something of more importance than just their knowledge of the law and the habits of faith. And so let's, let's read this encounter this morning, beginning at verse 1, Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. He continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. 
But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do so many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside and defile a person. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, help us to hear with our heads, with our hearts, your word to us, that it may draw us close to Christ, may draw us to obedience and faithfulness, and to the life that we're called to lead in faith. We pray in your holy name. Amen. All right, here's the question to start. Would you rather have a neighbor of good habits or a good heart? Would you have, rather have a neighbor who, who practices, has good practices or, or has a good heart? Would you, would you rather have a friend who has good habits or a good heart? Or a spouse, again, good habits or good heart, or children, good habits or good heart? Now, understand, good habits are important. That's a nice thing to have. In, in any relationship. It's nice when your neighbors keep their property nice and respect your property. Uh, it's nice when your neighbors honor the, the, the restrictions or the, the rules of the community. That's, that's nice. It's nice to have a friend who has good habits, who's conscientious and, and, and honors their word and is, is faithful in, in follow-through. That's, that's important. It's, it's great to have a spouse, to have a husband who has good habits, who, who doesn't throw his clothes all over the room or, or maybe puts his clothes on the chair because he thinks it's his chair and it's okay to put his clothes on the chair, but it's not okay to... So it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's okay or, or... I'm sorry. This is therapy, I guess. Um, uh, but, but who has good habits and, and good practices. Um, or keeps the pantry organized but has a hard time doing it because there's more stuff than he can fit into the pantry. Anyway, I'm going to stop now. Um, good habits matter. And, and in our kids, we understand that. That's, that's important. That's nice. But I'd rather have somebody who has a good heart. Good habits are an external manifestation of, of self-discipline. They're an, an external practice, and again, valuable. But, but a good heart speaks to character. It speaks to who somebody is. And the tension that emerges in the story is this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and, and good habits versus a good heart. And the Pharisees have come, and they've come to hear Jesus. They've come to see Jesus. 
and they've really come to, to find something against Jesus. And it doesn't take long for them to find it. The disciples come in for lunch. Maybe they've been out working. Maybe they've been with Jesus. They've been out in the sun. They're hot. They're tired. They're hungry. And they, they dig in. They, they put the, the practices and traditions aside, and they, they sit to eat. And, before, and when they start eating, they don't first wash their hands. Not the kind of wash we think of. But the ceremonial washing, the, the practice of the tradition of the elders to, to, to remind us that we, to, to wash off anything on their hands that would defile them, that would maybe anything unclean that they've touched to, to make themselves ritually clean. They don't do that. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers, as was their habit, they pounce. And they come to Jesus with grins on their face and malice in their heart. And they say, why don't your disciples follow the tradition of the elders and wash their hands before they eat? They're challenging them. They're challenging Jesus. And Jesus, as we used to say, bows up. He's not going to take this. Not from them. And he fires back and he counters. Why don't you follow the tradition of God? And clean your hearts. Clean hands versus clean hearts. Good habits versus a good heart. He is challenging what they understand to be the relationship between belief and behavior. And he's challenging them as he does over and over again because he knows that in their hearts they have gotten it wrong. And they have elevated belief to a place that it trumps behavior. And he challenges them in their living out of the law of God. And I believe if we allow the word to speak, it may challenge us, as we all need to occasionally be challenged. So let's, let's kind of think through a little bit about what Jesus is saying. One of the things that we know not only from this text in Mark 7, but through the, the, through the arc of the Gospels, the, the story of, of the whole of Jesus' ministry and life, is that he wants us to understand that behavior is more important than beliefs. Now, I'm not saying beliefs aren't important. We're going to come back to that. But behavior becomes, well, as I've heard it said, behavior is believable. And that becomes the most important thing in our walk with Christ. There was a, a story that I came across from 19th century England, and it came from the court of Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria was hosting a foreign dig dignitary, an African chieftain, and because it was a special occasion, she held a great banquet in his honor. And so the, the officials of the court, some of the upper crust, the, the well-to-do, they, they came, and there were hundreds in this great banquet hall in this, for this dinner in honor of this African chieftain. After the, the main course, the meal, they brought out the finger bowls. Now, how many of you know what a finger bowl is? Okay, good, good portion of you. I will confess, I had no idea what a finger bowl was. Never had even really, I think, heard of a finger bowl and didn't know what you do. How many of you are like me, had no idea, you have no idea what a finger bowl is? All right, there's a few of you. All right, good. We, we're, we got company here. The finger bowl is brought out before dessert. 
And it's used exactly like it sounds, to, to put your fingers in, to wash the fingers in case there's any food or anything. Maybe if you handled the food during the meal, something you had to use your hands for. It's, it's a way to kind of wash your hands before the dessert comes. I'd never heard of that. How many of you have been at a meal where they had a finger bowl? Okay, more of you than I thought. I, I didn't know it was practiced at all. Uh, but anyway, so, so me and the African chieftain would have been in the same boat, and a few of you, because what happened was, in this meal, nobody had prepped him. Nobody had kind of explained to some of these traditions that would have been foreign to him. So when the finger bowl comes out, he doesn't know what it is. So he picks it up, and he drinks it down to the last drop. Now, it should have just been water, so I mean, I don't, it's not like everybody's dipped their hands in it, but he drinks it, which causes a stir. Because this is not protocol, this is not habit, this is not the, the practice, this is not the etiquette of, of the royal court of England. And so everybody is anxious to see what Queen Victoria will do. And when she notices what the chieftain does, she does something very, very interesting. And some of you probably know where the story's going. She picked up her finger bowl and she drank it down to the last drop. And immediately after, 500 dinner guests picked up their finger bowls, and they drank it to the last drop. Here's the lesson. Was that the habit? No. Was it proper practice? Absolutely not. Was it etiquette? No. But Queen Victoria put her heart before her habits. She put her behavior before her beliefs. She did not want her guests to be embarrassed. She put his needs and concern for his reputation above her own. That's what Jesus is wanting to say. That your traditions, as he's talking to the Pharisees, your traditions do not trump the call of love. Jesus is saying behavior over belief. Behavior before belief. Love from the law. Good hearts over good habits. You have forgotten what is the most important. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. His word to them is what you've done is you've taken preferences and you've made them priorities. You have inverted the law and you've forgotten the truth. Now, let me say, Jesus is not saying that, and we're going to talk about this more in a few minutes, the beliefs and, and even the law doesn't matter. He's saying, you've, you've gotten it upside down. You've forgotten what's most important. And to do that, he calls them out on their own practice. And it's the practice of Corbin. Now, I'm going to guess, for a lot of you, that's probably not very familiar. So let me contextualize it a little bit. Let's say, for instance, next week, you, uh, you called the office and you, you scheduled an appointment with me. And you came in so we could sit down and talk. And you said to me, Chris, I love what the church is doing. I love the vision, believe, believe in the ministry. I want to make a pledge for next year to the budget. I want to give, over the course of the year, I want to give $20,000 to the church. Let me just think about that for just a moment. Um, and you said, that's what I want to do. Well, that pledge, that pledge is Corbin. That is resources that you have pledged to the ministry of, of Christ as it would have been in the time of Jesus. Pledges that were made to the... It was Corbin. Now, let's take that same example. Let's say next February, heaven forbid, uh, something 
really, really um, tragic or calamitous happens to your parents, your mother and your father. And um, whether it's financial ruin, whether it's health concerns, something happens, and they have to depend on you for support. Okay? Now, imagine that that $20,000 that you've pledged is really all the extra income you have. So you come to me, and you sit down, and you say, Chris, I've, I've got kind of a dilemma. Now, I'm going to tell you, not because I'm so wonderful, but I can promise you 100% this is exactly how I would respond if that situation happened. I would look at you and I would say, take care of your parents. Take care of your parents. That's not what was happening. The Pharisees were using the law of Corbin, the fact that money donated to God, pledged to God, had to be given. And in that kind of a situation, they were saying, you have to honor your pledge even above the care for your mother and father. And Jesus is saying, how backwards have you gotten it? The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the foundational law. Remember, there are 613 laws in the Torah. There are ten primary commandments that most of us are familiar with. There's, there's um, 500 or 603 other laws. And then there was a bunch of traditions and laws that the scribes and the religious leaders over centuries had, had put in place for the well-being of the people. They were, they were with good intention. But Jesus is saying, you've taken these traditions, these external traditions, and you've placed them over the law of God and the law of Moses. You have flipped it. And your commitment to the law has killed your compassion. Because how hard do you have to be to look at somebody who's desperately wanting to care for their parents and say, no, you have to give the money to the church or to the temple. And he's calling them out because they have forgotten the heart of the law and the compassion and the love for which they are called for. Jesus says, our beliefs, Matthew 25, in the verse where he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he talks about that day of judgment. It is interesting that what called them out, I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. Their behaviors, behavior trumps belief. And so that's the first thing that he wants us to understand. Don't allow our belief to crush and to kill our compassion. The other thing he wants to make very, very clear is your outward rituals do not necessarily mean you're inwardly clean. You know, they're, they're upset. The, the Pharisees are upset because the disciples aren't washing their hands. And Jesus is basically saying, you wash your hands, and it ain't doing a lot of good for you. I mean, you think about this. The, the, the Pharisees travel from Jerusalem to hear Jesus, to come and to, to observe him. Now, on the external side, if we were observing that, we think that's a good thing. And they're coming, they want to hear Jesus, they want to learn from Jesus. The outward appearance looks good. But Jesus knows the inward motivation is corrupt. It's dirty. They want to come and they want to find fault. They want to come and they want to catch him. They want to trick him. They want to trap him. They want to undermine him. They want to destroy his credibility. Outward, it looks fine. But inwardly, all their ritual, all their practice, all their habits have done nothing to clean their hearts. And we have to be careful of that. Now, we, we talk about the habit. Let's talk about some of our habits. This is a habit. We're in worship today. It's a habit of, of, that we believe we're called to in Christ, to worship with God's people, to come to church, to lift our praises and our prayers to God, and to be open to His Holy Spirit. That is an important practice, a habit. And anybody who sees that and says, hey, they come to church regularly, would say, well, inside the faith, that's a good habit. But I'm going to tell you this. 
It's very, very rare, but every once in a while, I have known people that have come to church regularly, faithfully, simply with the idea of, I'm going to catch them doing something wrong today. Now, again, it is a rare thing, rare, 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 but every once in a while, I know somebody's coming just to see what I'm going to mess up on that day or what song the the praise band or the choir is going to sing that they don't like, or what practice we're not going to do right, whatever it is. And my point is, coming to church is empty if, if we're not first seeking to get our heart right and to be open to the presence of Christ. Jesus is saying that, that these external rituals, though they are valuable, they have no function if they don't begin to change an internal reality. Cassie and I were talking this week about the practice of confession. She has a friend who, who grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up Catholic. And so you're more familiar with that practice of, of sitting in confession. And confession is good. Now, we do it differently, and we have some different ideas in the Protestant church from our brothers and sisters in the Catholic church. But, but understand, I fundamentally believe that confession, naming our sins before God, or before those who can help you be accountable and help you grow, that's a valuable thing. To name the things that we all fall short, but God can work in that. But I'm here to tell you that if your purpose of confession, whether it be in a, a confessional booth or, or in telling others, if your purpose of confession is just the idea that well, God will wipe the slate clean so I can go back and engage in the same behavior, it's a wasted exercise. If your idea of confession is saying, hey, I want to I be forgiven because I've acted dishonestly, I've treated people badly, or I've, I've not been the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be, and the idea is good, I can be forgiven so I can go do it all over again? Empty ritual, really, because it's not beginning to change the heart. Our practice, our ritual, is meant begin to work an inward reality, an external sign of an inward truth, and that is the work God is doing in and through our lives. So, behavior, overbeliefs, inward motivation that is more significant than outward symbolism. You hear that and you would think that what I'm saying is that rituals and creeds and professions of faith, that they don't matter. They're not important. But if you're hearing that, you've missed and we've missed the heart of the story. Because Jesus is not saying that. Beliefs do matter. Beliefs are important. There's a reason, like John said, that we profess our faith. We engage in ritual every week here. Communion is a ritual. Every week we participate in. Prayer is a a habit, if you will. We engage in every week. We use creeds. We sing our songs. Those are all important. They matter, but only so much as they remind us to be open to the deeper work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, let's go back to the, to the Catholic Church because they have another, another tradition habit that I really like when I go in. And that is, as some of you know, that in the back of a, of a um, Catholic Church, there's the bowl of the water. And you can dip your fingers in when you come in. And it's meant to remind us of our baptism. Now, dipping our fingers in the water in and of itself doesn't make us clean. But if dipping our fingers in the water remind us of God's grace, remind us of the sin that has been washed away in Christ, remind us of the faith to which we call the commission and the calling we have in Jesus, then it is a wonderful ritual. It is a wonderful habit. If communion reminds us that we are recipient of God's faith, as it should, of God's grace, of Christ's forgiveness, and it 
propels us forward in ministry and obedience, then it is a wonderful ritual. The idea of professing our faith and practicing the habits of faith and engaging in the rituals is that it begins to allow the Holy Spirit to work into us so that it drives behavior. So behavior becomes an embodiment of our belief, not a contradiction of it. That our behavior begins to line up with the things that we profess. And we hold to the foundations of our faith. Not the preferences, but the priorities. Music style is a preference. Dress style is a preference. Location is a preference. Christ died and resurrected is a priority. Holy Spirit embodying the lives of those who come to Christ in faith and empowering us in faith is a priority. Those are the things that we profess that should drive our behavior. So it's not behavior instead of beliefs. It's behavior and beliefs. It is the law that moves us to love. It is good habits that allow God to create in us a good heart. The Pharisees had just missed that. But what we believe matters. But what we do evidences it. James dealt with this in his letter. In in the, the second chapter of the letter of James, he says that some will say, You have faith, but I have deeds. He says, you show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I will show you my faith, that which I profess, by that which I do. And he goes on to say, yeah, you profess that there's one true God. Well, great, the demons do that, and they shudder. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan. You know what Satan does? He quotes scripture. He knows the practices. He knows the word. But he doesn't embody it in his life and his choices. We're called to embody our faith. That's the mark of life in Christ. That's what Jesus wants the Pharisees and wants us to hear. Yes, the rituals and the practices have a place when they're put in the right priority. But what matters most is not your habits, but your heart. Not your beliefs, but your behavior. Not your knowledge of the law, but your ability to live out the love. Paul would say, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, because love comes from the heart. And think about it from musicians. I'm not a musician, but I know that um, singers and musicians, they can get up, and you know, John can get up, and he can play all the notes right, or, or any of our singers, they can sing all the words right. But when music touches us it's because it comes from the heart because it speaks to our heart and because it comes not just from the fingers of the musician not just from the lips of the vocalist but from their heart that's what jesus wants us to know your faith is embodied in what you do but it is motivated by who you are by what's happened here so let us value good habits good heart. Right beliefs that drive us to right behavior. That our faith would not just be about our fingers, but it'd be about our heart. Let's pray. Loving God, we uh, we pray that you'd just uh, you'd be at work within us, through us, to shape us into the likeness of Christ, to, to recognize that, that what you do is, is heart work, changing us in the inside 
so that we would live faithfully on the outside. Allow us to hold to what is a priority, to let go of what is a preference, and to live the love of Christ. We pray in his name.